Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Today we're reading from Psalm 100, um, and it is as follows. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year to those that weren't here last week and are back in church for the first time in 2020. It's hard to believe it's 2020 already, isn't it? I don't know if you remember, but 2020 was a year that everything was meant to happen, right? Everyone was looking forward to 2020, um, and we finally made it. So it's great to be here, and it's a happy new year for all of us as well. You probably noticed in 2019, I had a major change in my life. I uh, decided that I would go bald on a permanent basis. Uh, the, the signs were there. There was a little bald patch starting to happen on the back of my hair, and the, the tide was starting to go out, and I was starting to recede, and I thought, I'm going to go out gracefully. I grew up with some people I know doing the comb-over and I made a decision from a young age I was never going to do the comb-over. And if you're listening to the podcast and you are a comb-over person, you're not fooling anyone. We know. Just shave it off. It's liberating. It's a great thing to do. But there's been some adjustments I've had to make with a shaved head. And one of them, the main one, is really around the sun. I noticed this for the first time at our Timotop event this year. It was one of those days that was a warm day, but it was a bit overcast. And so I thought, oh, I'm not going to get burnt today. And so I didn't worry about the sunscreen. And it wasn't until later in the day when my face was going really red and it started to hurt a little bit that I realised that maybe I'd made a mistake. And so in between the setting up, we were there for about eight hours, I guess, I, I rushed home to have a shower so that I could come back and MC the event. And it wasn't until I turned the shower on and the water touched my head that I realised how big a mistake I'd made. It was agony. And I realised even a little bit of hair is much better than no hair when it comes to sunburn. And so I've made this change. I was a little concerned at first. I was worried really that with my physique and a bald head that people may mistake me for Vin Diesel or perhaps The Rock. Um, but you'd be relieved to know that's only happened a couple of times. So it's been manageable. But this is me now. I think this is a permanent thing. Uh, but after the Timotop event, I thought I've learnt my lesson. And so a couple of weeks later, we were going to Gumbaya World. I don't know if you remember, but it was a 41 degree day. So it was a very hot day, and I thought, I've learnt my lesson about the sunburn. So I'm going to enjoy Gumbaya World. I'm going to sit in the pool and bathe, and this is going to be a great day. And I'm going to put lots of sunscreen on. I'm going to wear a hat. I even wore a shirt most of the day, one of those wetsuit shirts. And I thought, I'm going to enjoy the weather, but I'm going to beat the sun. And so I slip, slop, slapped, and I spent most of the day on the lazy river. If you've been, you'll know that the lazy river, you, you kind of sit in those big tubes and you put your feet out and you just float around this circuit and uh, it's pretty relaxing. I spent most of the day in the lazy river and I thought, you know what, I can do this. I'm not going to get sunburnt, but I realised that I put sunscreen everywhere except one place on my body. It was the top of my feet. And they were hanging out in the lazy river all day. And the next day I woke up and my feet were burning. And over the next week, it's like I shed my skin. All the skin peeled off the top of my feet. Do you ever have those moments in your life where you think to yourself, you know what, there could be room for a little more wisdom in my life this year. 
For me, it was one of those moments, and I'm sure we have all of those. Who would like to have more wisdom in 2020? Excellent. We all want a bit more wisdom this year to be a little bit more wiser as we journey through life and as we follow God. And I've got some good news for you this morning. We are continuing our summer series, and is it the summer in the Psalms. And really, the Psalms are an important uh, part of the scripture when it comes to wisdom, because they are part of the wisdom literature in the Bible. And as I said at the start of a new year, we can all do with a little bit more wisdom as we look back on the year that has gone and we assess that, and as we look forward for the year to come and dream about all the possibilities that 2020 will hold. One of the things I love about the Psalms is that the Psalms acknowledge the difficulties of life, but they nearly always lift our eyes back to the God who is over those difficulties in life. That's what most Psalms are like. But today's Psalm's a little bit different. Today we're focusing on Psalm 100, as Wilma read for us a moment ago. And it's a little bit different to most of the other Psalms. It's part of a set from Psalm 93 through to Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is a set. And they're a set that focus on the kingship of God. And Psalm 100 is the last one in that set. It's a little bit like the cherry on top. And it finishes this beautiful set of Psalms that focuses on God's kingship with praise. In my Bible, the title given is A Psalm for Giving Grateful Praise. This is the only psalm in all of the 150 psalms in the Bible that has this precise inscription. Now, last week, Greg preached, and he preached a good message, and he gave us about 174 Charles Spurgeon quotes. I'm not going to give you 174 today, but I'll give you one more. If you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, he was a great Baptist pastor and theologian. But this is what he says about Psalm 100. He says, Psalm 100 is ablaze, ablaze with grateful adoration, and has for this reason been a favourite with the people of God ever since it was written. This is a beautiful psalm. And while some of the psalms are psalms of lament, where the writer is a little bit downcast, this psalm is the opposite of that. It's an uplifting psalm, which I think is another reason it's a great psalm to focus on at the start of a new year with new opportunities. Now, unlike Psalm 119, that has 176 verses, Psalm 100 only has five verses. But there's still so much that we can learn from these five verses. And as I looked over them this week, there were three things that immediately jumped out, three wise things that we can do and three wise things that we can be in our lives to ensure that 2020 is a great year. And the first one is that we can be joyful. (laughs) Works better when you turn it on. We can be joyful, right? That's a good thing to be. The first verse of this psalm says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. It's one of the things I love about gathering with God's people on a weekly basis, is that we gather together as God's people for corporate worship, and we practically apply this truth as a faith community. We instantly go from being hearers of the word to doers of the word, because we've made a choice this morning. We've made a choice to come and to worship God with joyful songs. And I don't know about you, but I always feel a little bit better after coming in and worshiping God. Even if I come in a bit downcast, after a couple of songs of lifting praise, it kind of lifts our spirits as we bring him the praise that he's worthy of. But what I've noticed over the years is this. That when it comes to joy, I think in life most of us have a natural default position. And it's one of two things. It's either glass half empty or it's glass half full. 
So if you're looking at this glass today, you'll see it's either half empty or it's half full. And so we naturally gravitate towards kind of pessimism or optimism or positivity or negativity or at its worst, joy or misery. And these postures, I think, can be accurately described in two separate cartoon donkeys. The first one is a glass half empty pessimist called Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. So if you're a little bit older here today, you will know Eeyore. If you're not, don't stress, I'm going to show you what he's like. This is Eeyore so from Winnie the Pooh. Many things. They tried. And they tried. And they tried. And they tried and they tried and they tried and they tried. Until they had run out of things to try. It's okay. I'll learn to live without it. Poor dear. You know, I may have just the thing. Up, up, up you go. <laughs> there you are. It's an awful nice tale, Kanga. Much nicer than the rest of me. <laughs> That's Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. You'll notice that Eeyore mopes around. For Eeyore, he's always got a sad look on his face. His disposition is one of, poor me, it's not fair. And if he was to look at this glass today, he'd probably look at this glass and go, it's almost all gone. What am I going to do? I think I'll die. <laughs> he's a can't-do donkey. As a result, life is never much fun for Eeyore. But there's another donkey that we can learn from today. It's not the donkey from Winnie the Pooh. You're probably guessing which donkey it is. It's the donkey from Shrek. Woof, look at that. Who'd want to live in a place like that? That would be my home. Oh, and it is lovely, just beautiful. You know, you are quite a decorator. It's amazing what you've done with such a modest budget. I like that boulder. That is a nice boulder. I guess you don't entertain much, do you? I like my privacy. You know, I do too. That's another thing we have in common. Like, I hate it when you got somebody in your face, you're trying to give them a hint and they won't leave. And then there's that big awkward silence, you know. Can I stay with you? Uh, what? Can I stay with you, please? Of course. Really? No. Please, I don't want to go back there. You don't know what it's like to be considered a freak. Well, maybe you do, but that's why we gotta stick together. You gotta let me stay, please, please. Okay, okay, but one night only. Ah, thank you. Ah. What are you, no, oh, no. This is gonna be fun. We can stay up late, swapping manly stories, and in the morning, I'm making waffles. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Donkey from Shrek is the opposite of Eeyore. He always looks happy. He's a little bit hyperactive, maybe a tad annoying at times, but he would definitely look at this glass and he would say, man, that's an amazing glass. Drinking from that, there's so much water left, I can drink from that glass for the rest of my life. I'm sure he would be very glass half full. He's enthusiastic, he's energetic, he's full of optimism, faith and hope. He's a can-do kind of a donkey. I wonder which one of these donkeys enjoys life more? Which one would you rather hang out with? 
Which one would you say is more joyful? I think the answer is pretty obvious. Donkey from Shrek is not only a bundle of energy, but he has a joyful, a natural joyful disposition which sees life from a glass half full rather than a glass half empty perspective. So here's the great theological question for you to wrestle with personally today at the start of a new year. Are you ready for it? Which donkey are you? We're all donkeys, but which donkey are you? Are you the donkey Eeyore or are you the donkey from Shrek? As I said before, I think the Psalms are great because they're so honest and real. They're kind of raw and gritty and there's a real transparency between the author and between them and their relationship with God. There's really no faking it when you read through the Psalms. Psalms, uh, there's Psalms of lament where the author, most commonly King David, has kind of reached his wit's end. He's overwhelmed and helpless, perhaps even depressed. And he honestly cries out to God asking for help and sometimes questioning where God is in the midst of the difficulties he's going through. And I think this is really helpful for us because I think we can all relate to it. And maybe 2019 was one of those difficult years for you. Or maybe 2020 has even started that way. Because the truth is we all have wonderful seasons in life, those wonderful kind of mountaintop experiences. But at the same time, we'll all go through the valley-type experiences in life as well. And I think when we're in the valleys, I think God wants us to be honest with him in those times. God can handle our doubts and our struggles and even our fears. In fact, in those times, I think he wants us to come to him with honesty. One of the problems with Christianity over the years has been an unwillingness to be honest and instead to cover over the cracks and difficulties of life with kind of like a cheesy smile on our face, pretending everything's okay when it's really not. If you're tempted to do that this year, or maybe that's your natural default position in life, I want to tell you that it doesn't help. And it only really delays the inevitable breakdown that will occur if we don't confront those issues of life and journey through them honestly with God and with each other in community. So I don't want this morning for you to think that I'm saying that we need to be those kinds of people where we just fake it till we make it. There will be days when we feel a little bit like Eeyore. But what I am saying today is this, that scripture is clear on this one thing. Joy should be a key characteristic of the Christian life. In fact, the Bible goes further than that and it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so it's such an important characteristic to have. I think at this point in the sermon, it's important to define the difference between happiness and joy. Because I think think sometimes we think they're the same thing, but they're actually very different. In fact, joy is a much deeper experience than happiness. Happiness is something that is usually temporary, but joy can be a constant in our lives. Happiness is dependent on external circumstances, whereas joy springs from within and is a gift from God's. Happiness is not present when we're in the midst of a storm, it just vanishes. But joy brings with it a feeling of contentment and confidence which can accompany us through every season of life. Happiness disappears in the difficult times of life, but it's the joy of the Lord that keeps us going. I noticed this in the last couple of days in a very stark way. On Friday I conducted a wedding for an amazing young Christian couple who committed their lives to the Lord and committed their lives to one another. And it was a day of great celebration and it was a day of great joy with the family and friends as they gathered around for this occasion. Yesterday I was at a funeral 
for um, Clive, Naomi's dad. You've probably heard that he passed away recently. And, and Noi, uh, Clive's, hus- uh, Clive's wife, is here with us this morning, which is wonderful. But I was at that funeral yesterday, and it was a very sad time. But even though it was a sad time because so many people were going to meet Clive, uh, miss Clive, and he was such a wonderful guy, it was also a time of incredibly deep joy knowing that Clive has this hope that he's now gone to be with the Lord. And so we can rejoice in that confidence that we have in Christ. It's a joy that is there despite the circumstances of life and even there at the end of life when we pass from this life. It's a wonderful joy to have. And so happiness is temporary, but joy can be constant. Last year in 2019, I was so proud of our kids. In many ways, they brought Kim and I incredible joy. Uh, Adele, our oldest daughter, married Brandon. They're here this morning, and that was a day of great celebration as we witnessed them making promises and vows to love, love one another for the rest of their lives. Taylor, our next oldest daughter, finished VCE, and she did really well with her results, and she got a first-round offer to Monash to do a teaching degree, and she's now deferred that for a year because she's doing an internship at Cairo Christian School working in the outdoor ed area with the, the VCE students or the, the senior school students. Uh, She also got the Christian Character Award for Year 12, which of all of her achievements was the one that we were most proud of. Annika, our next one down, has produced a beautiful art portfolio, which I'd love to show people because she has a really obvious God-given gift when it comes to creativity and art, even extending to makeup and copious amounts of time in the bathroom. (laughs) Lenny, our son, finished grade one. And he did really well at school. By the end of the year, he was reading at a very high level and he was doing grade six maths, which is a real mystery for Kim and I because we barely passed maths, let alone excelled in it. In fact, the word algebra still gives us nightmares because we actually don't know what it means (laughs) to this very day. But in 2019, our kids were a great source of joy in our lives. But I've got to say, the joy was not because of their achievements. Those achievements certainly made us happy, but the joy was not in those things. The joy was more from the fact that we saw their God-given gifts continue to develop and that we're constantly journeying with them as they grow and develop. And so the joy is really found in the relationship, the relationship between parents and kids and kids and parents. And I think it's very similar in our faith. God delights in us as his children. But the ultimate joy from our life is found in him alone. The source of this circumstance-enduring, life-changing joy is the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. And so this year you might have a New Year's resolution, and it might be to be more joyful. Maybe you've thought about Eeyore and Donkey, and you think, you know what, I want to be a little bit more like Donkey this year. And if your New Year's resolution is to be a bit more joyful, it's a great resolution to have. But let me tell you, it won't last. It won't last if you strive to be more joyful in your own strength. They say statistics show that 90% of all New Year's resolutions have failed by Valentine's Day. So you might get a couple of months of joy, but when the busyness of the year begins and the stresses elevate, your joy will evaporate like a drop of water on a 40-degree day. On the other hand, if the goal of your year is to live a God-honouring, spirit-led life, then joy will start to flow from you whatever you do and wherever you go because joy is not something that you strive to achieve. It's something you become as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through your life. Let me say that again. Joy is not something you strive to achieve. 
It is something you become as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through your life. It is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, it lists nine different fruits of the Spirit. And it starts with the first one, which is love, which is like the ultimate fruit. We're to live our lives where we love God and we love one another. But the second fruit listed is joy. It's love and then joy, which tells me that joy must be pretty important in our lives. It's an attribute that God wants us to have on a regular basis. And I think that there's a joy that comes from and is found in a relationship with Jesus, and it's a joy that will far surpass any other joy you'll ever experience in this life. It's a joy that comes from knowing that you're a child of God. It's a joy that comes from knowing your sin has been forgiven. It's a joy that comes from knowing that your future is secure. It's a joy that comes from knowing that you have a God who will never leave you and will never forsake you. It's a wonderful joy to have. It's a joy comes that from these unchanging truths of Scripture. And it's a joy that is possible for all of us in Christ. Because it's not a joy based on our circumstances, but instead it's a joy grounded in the promises of God. These promises are unchanging because our God is faithful. And we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing not only the present, but also all the future promises that are found in Christ. Now, if that doesn't bring you joy this morning, at the start of a new year, I tell you what you need. You need to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Because when you are filled with the Spirit, that joy will start to flow naturally from your life. This is how we make sense of passages in Scripture like James that says, Consider it pure joy when you face many trials. Or Romans 5 that says, Rejoice in your sufferings. They only make sense because of the joy that we can have in Christ. Because even when we go through those difficult times, our joy can remain because it's not dependent on our circumstances. And when our circumstances change, the promises of God remain. And as you start to remind yourself of all the promises of God, you will start to see why the psalmist says, Shout for joy, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs because you and I have so much to be joyful about. You'll notice it says, Shout. Shout is an action. It says worship. That's a lifestyle. And it says come before him. That's a decision. So I want to encourage you at the start of a new year to make a decision to live a lifestyle of joyful worship and gladness through your regular actions fueled by the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing you can do, the first bit of advice from Psalm 100 to make sure this year is a wonderful year is to be joyful. Be joyful. Secondly, this morning, we can be thankful. Verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. You've probably heard that saying that practice makes perfect. I'm not sure practice makes perfect always, but it almost always leads to improvement. Christmas time, we got Lenny, his first big boy bike without training wheels. And we're trying to train him to ride this bike. He's a little bit nervous about it. He's not there yet. But we've been out a few times, and there is definitely some improvement from the first time we tried to where he's at now. And I think there are things in our lives that if we want to get better at them, then we need to practice. Thankfulness is one of those things. 
It's definitely one of those areas of life that we get better at the more we practice it. We had this semi-regular event at our house with the kids when I picked them up from many, one of the many different events and commitments they have. If you're a parent of teenagers, you will know that whatever career you have, it's a secondary career because your primary role is to be an Uber driver, right? And you're the best kind of Uber driver. You are a free kind of Uber driver. And so you'll spend most of your life constantly driving your kids from place to place. If it's not school, it's work. If it's not work, it's uni. If it's not uni, it's sport. If it's not sport, it's parties. If it's not parties, it's school again. And so you're a free Uber service whenever it's required, day or night. And so I regularly pick up my kids from the myriad of different events they have to attend. And when we arrive home, I will patiently sit in the car, waiting to see if there will be a thanks. I'm not looking for anything extravagant or elaborate. Just one word will do. Just thanks, or even better, thank you, Dad. And so I will sit there in the car just to see if that one word will come. Now, I think our kids are fairly well behaved and they've got fairly good manners, but I think this area of thankfulness is an area where more practice is required. (laughs) We certainly have not yet reached perfection, perhaps because there has not been enough practice. And so I'll sit and wait. And I'll wait until the thanks come. Let's just say some nights I would miss dinner if I waited for the thanks, which is not an option for me. And so if the thanks doesn't come after a short period of time, I will do a little bit of prompting. And I'll prompt by saying that word myself. I'll say, thanks. And one of my daughters will inevitably say, what for? (laughs) And I will say, for the privilege of picking you up from work. I don't have to, I get to. So thank you for the privilege of getting you from work. It's usually that moment that they get the point. And although it doesn't seem to sink in, hence the reason it's a semi-regular event. Now, why do I do that? Is it just to be an annoying dad? Well, if I tell the truth, that's probably part of it. I think it's (laughs) an enjoyable part of my role. But the main reason is this, that I want our kids to learn the discipline of thankfulness. Because I think it's a posture that God wants us to have regularly. It's one thing to feel it in our hearts, but it's another thing to express it with our words. I wonder what is there in your life? What is one thing that you're thankful for in 2019? It's easy just to shift from one year into the next and just keep going in life, but how many of us have stopped and reflected on last year and thought about the things that we are thankful for? If I was to go around the room with an open mic today and hand it around, I wonder how many people would have something right on the tip of their tongue to say, in 2019, I was thankful for this. There's a story in Luke 17 where Jesus heals 10 lepers from a distance. And they take off and then they're all healed and that's a life-changing thing for a leper. Straight away they go from being outcast to coming back into community. It would literally change their lives. And you would think that those 10 people would be so thankful that they couldn't stop saying thanks. But in the little story that Jesus tells, in this situation in his ministry, only one of the 10 lepers comes back to say thanks. It says he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And it says, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? How sad would it be if people in our world who haven't met Jesus were more thankful than us after we've encountered his goodness. 
I mean, after we've experienced his compassion and his grace and his mercy and his blessing, how sad would it be if everyone else in the world who didn't know Jesus were more thankful than us? Let me tell you, as Christians, I think we should be the one out of ten. We should be the ones that are quick to say thanks rather than being the nine out of ten that forget to say thanks for the many blessings in their lives. You know, I conduct a lot of weddings, and as I said, the most recent one was on Friday. And at weddings, I often share a little illustration out of a book called The Love Dare. And in this book, it talks about two rooms in our mind. There's the appreciation room, and there's a depreciation room. And the point the author makes is this, that when you first get married, you spend most of your time in the appreciation room when you're thinking about your partner. Because you're madly in love, right? And you have all the emotions going on and there's these warm, fuzzy feelings towards your partner. And so in the early times of marriage, even when they make mistakes, you kind of just laugh it off. And so if someone forgets to put the bin out, you go, oh, what a dag. So cute how they do that. If you got the bin again, you silly duffer. <laughs> and then someone burns the dinner, you go, oh, that's all right. You're still my little master chef. And you dwell in the appreciation room where you think about all the things that you love about your husband or your wife. But the danger is, as time goes on, those little things that were so funny at first become bigger things, and instead of being joyful, they start to become things that irritate you. And the danger is that we start to take one another for granted, and we slip from the appreciation room and spending most of our time there to now spending more time in the depreciation room, where we think about all the little things that bug us, And we think about all the little things that we don't have in our partner rather than all the blessings that we do have. I need to say this morning that I think it's not too dissimilar when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. I mean, when we first received Jesus as Lord and King of our lives, I mean, we are blown away. We can't be thankful enough, can we? We think, wow, it's awesome that God could save a wretch like me, a sinner like me, that God would save me and forgive me, that I could be called a child of God. We think, wow, this is amazing. And we can't, can't wait to thank him. We love, we get here early for worship. Isn't that a foreign concept? That we come to church early and we're praying and we, we just kind of thank God and we're here for the first song and we're, we're ready to go. And that's what it's like when we first become a Christian, right? But then we, in inverted commas, mature. We mature, don't we? We start to take, take things for granted. Sometimes the joy starts to, to dwindle a little bit out of our lives. And instead of thinking of all the things we have to be thankful for, We start to dwell more in the depreciation room where our thanks are replaced with whys. We start to doubt God's goodness in our lives. Why has this happened to me? Why hasn't God answered the prayer the way I wanted him to? Why is my loved one sick? Why is there so much suffering in the world? And instead of spending most of our time appreciating God, we begin to dwell in that depreciation room and it's a place where love slowly dies. That's why the Bible encourages us to return to our first love, to step back into that appreciation room and remind ourselves of how blessed we truly are in Christ. Because the truth is this, church, that if all God ever did for us was to give his son to die in our place on the cross so that we could be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life and eternal relationship with God, then we would have enough ammunition to thank him for the rest of our earthly lives and right the way through eternity. And God has done that for us, so we already have an eternal supply of reasons to be thankful, but not only has he done that, but we know that his mercies are new every morning. So his mercies were new yesterday. His mercies are new today. 
His mercies will be new tomorrow. And so every day we have a new supply of things to be thankful for. The big things in life and even the little things in life. And so we need to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. How should we approach God this year? With thankful hearts with hearts full of gratitude for all that he's done for us and for all that he's promised to do in the future. And so if you want this year to be a great year, take the advice of the psalmist to be joyful and to be thankful. And finally, to be confident. Verse 3 says, Know that the Lord is God. It's he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. For the Lord is good, verse 5, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. In the last few weeks, we've endured the tragedy of bushfires right throughout our nation. And during the fires, I think social media and news reports really revealed that for many people, there is no confidence in a time of crisis like this. There's no confidence in the weather. There's no confidence in the Prime Minister. There's no confidence in the strategies in place. There's no confidence in uh, that we can get the fires under control. There's no confidence in the science behind global warming. And what happens is that in a really difficult time, we just heap in a whole lot of doubts and fears and panic and a whole bunch of division that makes a bad situation even worse. You see, when a crisis comes, people's confidence seems to erode. As we get to embark on a new year, None of us know what awaits for us in the future. For some, 2020 may end up being the best year of your life. But in a room this size, the truth is, for some of us, it'll be a year of trials and maybe even tragedy. There's no guarantees in this earthly life, and it's no different for us as Christians. We live in a fallen and broken world. But Psalm 100 reminds us, that despite the uncertainty we have about 2020 and the future of our lives, we can step into this year with confidence because we have a God who is sovereign and whatever happens, we know that the Lord is God. The confidence comes from knowing, not just knowing about God, but knowing God. And I love that in this psalm, I love that in this psalm because it highlights both knowing about him and it also highlights knowing him. So what do we know about him? Well, in verse 3, it tells us the confidence we have comes from knowing that the Lord is God. He is the one who created us. But it also shows us that we can know him. It says we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, which means that he knows us by name. And you can know this year that you journey with a God who loves you in a way that is so wide and deep and broad and uh, and all that that's beyond you know, what we can really fully comprehend. Nothing can separate us from that love that God has for us. So we walk into this year knowing that we have a God who loves us, a God who cares for us, a God who will protect us from the enemy. Psalm 46 says this. It says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. If you're anxious this morning, about stepping into a new year. Find some time this week to still your mind, to be still, to unplug from the technology and the distractions and to find some quality time with God, meditating on Psalm 100 
and the truth that we find in this psalm. Knowing that God is the creator is a great bedrock of faith, isn't it? Because if God created all things, then guess what? There's nothing he can't do in our lives. And so whatever you're going through at the start of a new year, remind yourself that he's got it. You can cast your burdens, your stresses, your anxiety and your prayers upon the creator God and know that he is all-powerful, but also remember at the same time that he's not only the all-powerful God, but he's also an intimate God. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. He is the great shepherd. The shepherd who cares for the sheep and knows them by name. And so this year, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he walks through that valley with us. His rod and his staff, they will comfort us. He will guide us and lead us. He will bring us to streams of living water. He will make us lie down in green pastures. He will give us rest for our souls. Verse 5 reminds us that he is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness endures throughout every generation. You know, life changes very rapidly. But in an ever-changing world, we serve a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so whatever we go through, we can do it with our head held high and our shoulders back with great confidence knowing who God is. It's the God we know, not just in our heads, but also in our hearts. And so when the world turns to panic, let's not be sheep without a shepherd. When the world turns to panic, let's be sheep that trust in the great shepherd. Let's put our trust in God. I hope and pray that 2020 will be the best year of your life, a year of growth and a year of blessing. But even if it's a tough year, what you can do to make sure it's still a year of great growth is to apply these three bits of advice from the psalmist in Psalm 100, to be joyful, be thankful, and be confident. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you so much for your promises, and we thank you so much for the confidence we get from the words of Scripture that remind us of who we are. We are your people, the sheep in your pasture, but also remind us of who you are. You're the almighty God. You're the God that can do all things. And so, Lord, as we step into this new year, Lord, we're not sure what the future holds, but what we do know is that we don't go alone. We go with you. And so this morning I pray that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that we would be people who overflow with joy, that people would meet us and encounter us in our workplaces, in our schools, in our unis, in our friendship circles, and they would see the joy in our life and they would think, man, there's something different about this person. Lord, I pray that it would reveal who you are through our character and through our lives. Lord, I pray that as we journey with people, we would be the first people to be thankful We've got so much to be thankful for. Lord, help us not to dwell on the things we don't have, but to dwell on the many blessings we do have in you. You are so good to us. And Lord, help us to be confident. Lord, in many ways, our world is in a really trying time. There's a lot of polarization, a lot of difficulties, a lot of things that stress people out. But Lord, we know we have a God we can trust in in all circumstances, through every generation, in every era, through every problem, that you are the God we can turn to and have great confidence in because you are faithful and you are the everlasting God. Lord, we rejoice in who you are and we rejoice in who we are as a result of who you are. And so, Lord, I pray this year that it would be a great year for each of us as we apply these great truths of Scripture into our lives and into our hearts. And we pray it in the powerful and the life-changing name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. 
If you're in the southeast area of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us at our Sunday morning service. All the details can be found on our website at follow.church or you can find us on social media at Follow Baptist Church.